Hey, uh, uh, I know a lot of announcements, uh, a lot of things are going on, but we just got word this last Thursday uh, that we are going to be, and this is like totally incredible, uh, we're going to be having Jeremy Camp here on November the 25th. Now, you ready for this? It's free. Uh, it's a, a CD release, uh, worship time. Uh, he's going to be coming. Uh, I am so excited. So uh, mark down that date. We're not going to have a lot of time to get word out the way we normally would, uh, but we're really excited to have Jeremy Camp here then. If you would turn in your Bibles to uh, 2 Corinthians 1, where we're going to be in the morning part of our message. But prior to that, um, uh, I just want to talk about something, a couple other things. Um, first of all, Pam and I are so glad to be back. We had a blast. We spent um, all last week in Syracuse, New York uh, with our twin granddaughters. I have, uh, Pam and I have two identical twin, two and a half year old granddaughters who are just the love of our lives and we get so excited to be with them and to love on them and, and do things with them. But while we were in Syracuse, we got every kind of weather imaginable. Uh, it, the fall foliage was beautiful, and of course we got rain and clouds and all that, but it snowed two days we were there. And so we woke up this beautiful snow, and not too much, just enough to have it be awesome. And then on Halloween, we got to be with our girls and, and watch them, and, and the whole time I'm going around thinking, man, this part of the country is gorgeous. Then Mike Long, our executive pastor, uh, has taken a really much-needed rest. He's in Hawaii right now. And so he's sending pictures of how beautiful Hawaii is. And Natalia is uh, getting on a cruise ship right now to, uh, in Florida. And, and so she's, and we're all sending these pictures back and forth. And it literally is kind of like from sea to shining sea. What an amazing country we live in. Uh, it really is. And I, I just... Started thinking about that, and of course, one of the reasons I want to bring that up is today we're celebrating on this Sunday, it's coming Tuesday's Veterans Day. And one of the reasons it's an amazing country is because of the amazing people that would choose to dedicate themselves in service to freedom and service to others uh, in, in a way that sometimes um, is dangerous but always needed. And uh, we want to take time to honor people who do that. So if you today are a veteran of this country in any of the services, uh, man or woman, I'd like you right now to stand. We want to take some time to honor you. And sincerely, we are thankful uh, for each one of you and for what you've done. And, and uh, our hearts go out to the, the men or women who couldn't be here uh, because they did make that ultimate sacrifice. But uh, we want to keep praying for protection and honoring. Uh, the other thing I want to do today is this. Um, I know we just came through an amazing election. Uh, and, and our country is at a very historic moment. I mean, it's a, it's a, a moment like never before. And uh, I want to tell you that I know we have lots of different views in this room because we're a family and there, there's some probably disagreement on who we wanted elected or who we didn't. And, and, but the bottom line is this, is I can't imagine that we wouldn't all say this together. Uh, it, it's an amazing thing that just 40 years after Martin Luther King Jr. tried to help bring uh, racial equality that we have an African-American in the White House. That's an amazing thing. And... And no matter what side we fall on, the Bible's clear what Christians do. We pray. You know, first of all, God is always in control. 
And I, I, I praise God for that. But he, God is through the Apostle Paul told us this. It says in chapter 2, verse 1 of 1 Timothy, First of all, then, I urge you that entreaties, prayers, and petitions, and thanksgivings be made on behalf of all men for kings and all who are in authority, so that they may, or so that we may lead tranquil and quiet lives in all godliness and dignity. Now this, it says, is good and acceptable in the sight of our God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Uh, that, that first part is actually in a command form. We are commanded to pray for our leaders. We're commanded to pray for our new president. To ask that God, first of all, and I think we all have to agree on that this, that God would protect him, that we keep him safe, to keep his wife safe, to keep his daughters safe. And uh, then God would give him wisdom as he gets ready to, to formulate teams of other leaders who are going to be making decisions that are going to affect us. Our country desperately needs prayer right now. Uh, the economy is hurting and many of you are, are frontline warriors in that battle and that's hard and we know it. And, and we've got to somehow come together. And I think we need to pray for our leaders and we need to pray for our country. And so I actually want to do that right now uh, as we get ready to go into today. So let's, let's go to God and let's entreat him. Father, we know that we need you. This country needs you. The United States of America is an amazing place. And yet, God, we know that there are things in it that need to be fixed. Some are moral issues that need to be solved. Some, Lord, are, are economic issues where people are under-resourced and, and poverty is becoming too real a word for too many. Uh, Lord, we see that there are lots of things right now that need to be done, and so we pray that, that whatever part we could play, we would do it. But I pray, Lord, for President Obama, as he formulates a team, may he choose the right people. And may they come with wisdom. May they come, Lord, uh, may lots of them come on their knees before you, uh, seeking you and asking for your help. And we ask on their behalf. We intercede. And we ask, first of all, for protection for him and his family and all the other leaders that are selected. We ask that for our senators and our Congress people. Uh, and, and Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would give all of them a desire to start living selfless lives. And Lord, would our country, I pray, learn that selfishness has never been the answer. It's become brutally honest and, and apparent to us now. And so we pray for a selflessness within our nation. The best part of us is that. We've watched men and women serve selflessly in the armed services. And, and on this day, we pray that that kind of be a contagious attitude through all. So we pray for your wisdom for our leaders. We pray for your protection. We pray for the United States of America to literally become under your rule, Lord, in an amazing way. And we love you and we trust you and we thank you for the times we live in in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, um, we are in a point in the uh, message that we're going through called Tapestry. Tapestry is based out of Jeremiah 29, 11, where God says this. God says, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans of good and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. The word plans is, I know what I interweave. It's, it's a Hebrew word for an interweaving. Not everything that happens is God's will. But God says, I have planned ahead of time on your individual behalf to interweave things into your life that would be good things, that would give you a future, that would give you a hope. How does God do that? How do we spot him doing it? And, and here's where we're going now, is what about the dark times? You see, if you look at a big tapestry, you would see black areas in it or dark areas in it, and you don't focus on those. Those dark 
uh, areas are to make the other things stand out, to make them pop. And, and so you know what God says? God says when, when dark areas of your life occur, he says, I interweave my love, my presence, my will, my mercy, my plan for you. And when you step back in the midst of the dark times, I, hopefully you're going to go, whoa, God, that's incredible. But what are the dark times? The dark times are tragedy, sickness. Uh, it, it's, it's that losses we experience that hurt. It, dark, the dark times can be sin. Either we commit or someone commits against us. But you know what? God says in those times, I'm going to come and do an amazing thing in your life. Well, there's a song by Mercy Me. It's called Bring the Rain. And where we just say to God, you know what? We know who you are. We trust you. And when it's not easy, then we're just going to say something to you, Lord. We're going to say, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, because we just trust you, love you, and praise you. And in sometimes God brings the rain. And when he does, in the end, it's always going to bring a harvest of joy. And I can count a million times People asking me how I can praise you with all that I've gone through The question just amazes me Can circumstances possibly Change who I forever am in you
holy and holy 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 is the lord god almighty and is the lord god almighty Second Corinthians chapter 1. If I were to ask you this question, when is the time that you experience God in a way that was just literally almost overwhelming? I mean, his presence was so clear. Uh, the reality of who he was and, and his strength and his mercy and all of that. When was one of those times for you? And if you were to ask me, I can tell you that the, the, when I gave my life to the Lord, it was so incredible. I mean, all of a sudden, I realized God was real, that he was there. I needed him. I mean, it, I'll never forget how that felt. It was just incredible to be in the presence of the Lord. I asked Pam, I said, can you name one of those times? And she said, without a doubt, when we were in a horrible car accident. And I won't go into all the details, but the bottom line is, is we thought we were going to die. But when we hit I, I, we're in a crumpled car with our bodies just literally messed up, uh, and we weren't sure what was going to happen to us physically, what the outcome was going to be. But Pam said, wow, God was just there, and I, I remember that too. It was an amazing spiritual moment. Um, one of the other times for me came when uh, my father had come down with Crutchfield-Jacobs disease, which is the human form of mad cow disease. And uh, it's, it's a horrible disease. 
It took almost 18 months before he finally passed away. And we watched, our family watched as this man who had always been strong, always been courageous, never ever showed any fear in his life, was fun, was joyful. We watched him become paranoid. We watched him in horrible bouts of depression. Uh, We watched him losing control of himself. And I got to say this, I watched my mom love that man Uh, An unconditional love, caring for him, being there for him, never quitting or never back. I mean, it was amazing to watch. But what happened is he was in the midst of descending, and we didn't know what was wrong yet. The doctors still didn't know. And I got a call from my mom, and she said, Chuck, you got to come quick. And Pam and I hopped in the car with our kids, and we drove over to Kaiser right here in Riverside and got out. We didn't know what was up, but I, I... we get in the elevator, and as the elevator's going up and the door's open, and we stepped out in the hallway, I could hear him screaming. I mean, it was no doubt it was my dad, and he was screaming so loud, it was coming all the way out of the ward, and, and I ran for the, the double doors and knocked them open, and I could hear him screaming in a room on my left, and I stepped in, and he was in such pain and, and such agony that they had to strap him down, and he's strapped in this bed, and he's screaming, and he's moving and rocking, and, and because of the pain, and the bed, this huge hospital beds shaking and I look in the room and everyone's standing pinned against the wall the nurses the doctors everybody they, they didn't want to get too close partly because they didn't know if what he had was contagious yet or not and and so it was just a very precarious moment and I see this doctor trying to decide what to do and I see my mom and and I lost it I just started crying so hard and and I say God why why won't you either heal him or take him and then it happened I, I just said, felt God enter the room in a way like I can't tell you. He put his arms around me. I stood there. I'm crying. He's comforting me. And, and I thought, God, at least you're here. You're here. And, and it, it somehow made a difference. I, I, it was the light and the darkness. You see, when you look at your life, there's going to be these dark areas of your life. There's going to be these places in, in the tapestry of what's sown. And, and some of those things are going to be tragic. It's not that anybody did it. It's, it, it's not even that, that it was supposed to necessarily happen maybe in God's ultimate ideal plan. It's when life takes that, that movement and not everything that does occur is God's will. And you're standing there going, I don't get it, God. I don't get it. And, 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 and your heart's breaking and it's a dark time. It might be a dark time because you've sinned. You see, it may be because you've done something and it was evil and it was wrong and, and you look at it and you're like, I can't believe this and, and, and things are affected and, and you're, it's the, one of those dark moments. Or it might be a time when someone sinned against you and now it hurts and you've been betrayed or pain's been inflicted and, and you're grieving or maybe they hurt somebody you love and it's, it's just that dark time and we're all going to have those. There's no way you're not going to, but you know what God says? God says, I'm going to come and I'm going to interweave my plan in the midst of that tragic thing, that sinful thing, that evil thing. And my presence is so powerful, if you'll let me, I'm going to turn it into something beautiful and glorious. And most of the time, I think we look back and can see it. Sometimes we won't understand it till we get to heaven. But, but I got to tell you, God does that. It's the God who tells you that I will cause all things to work together for good. All things. If you love me and you live your life according to my purpose. That's what it says in Romans 8, 28. And God doesn't cause all things, but he certainly causes those things to work together for good. And when we let him, amazing things happen. 
Let me give you two truths I want you to hang on to, not only for today, but for the rest of the series, and maybe I would say they're so important for the rest of your life. Truth number one, for a miracle to occur, you must be in a negative situation. Now, I, I don't know if that sounds super poetic, but let me just say it again. For a miracle to occur, something negative must be going on. God's not going to do a healing unless somebody's sick, right? He's not going to calm the storm if there's not a storm. And so as a believer in God, a follower of God, someone in an interpersonal relationship with him, when, when I have tragedy hit in my life or heartbreaking things occur, it's one of those opportunities for me to get on my knees and say, God, you somehow are going to do something. And it's going to be beyond human recognition. And it might be a small miracle or it might be an amazingly huge one, but, but we can trust he will. But for a miracle to occur, you've got to have some of those moments. The second thing I want you to grab hold of is this is that even the sins you commit can be used to God's glory. Now, does God want you to sin? No. But here's the point. If you love the Lord, he's not going to run from you. And he'll even take those and interweave his love and mercy and grace around it so that you step back going, God, you even made this work for good. And God has the ability to do it. Now, how does he most often begin this process? The answer comes down to this word that I love. It's called comfort. God's comfort. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, is one of my favorite sections of Scripture, and it says this. It says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Notice that word, all comfort. Six times we're going to see the word comfort used in just a few verses. But, but notice how powerful it is. He says, I want to be all comforting. And he goes on to say in verse 4, Who comforts us in all our affliction." so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the suffering of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. Now, now grab hold of that. God says, I want to comfort you in all your affliction. And, and, and whether you created it or it was inflicted upon you or life just took that turn, God says, I'm never going to leave you if you don't want me to. I'm going to be there in the midst of it. I'm going to be the, the comfort you need. The word comfort's an amazing word. It's the word paraclete. And the word paraclete literally means to come alongside. It's interesting. That's a term that's used for the Holy Spirit. But by the way, you can't be a paraclete at a distance. You've got to come alongside. You've got to touch. You've got to be there in that moment. And that's what God says he wants to do with you and for you. He says, I want to be there for you and comfort you in all comfort, in all affliction. And why? Well, I impart it so that you can go out and comfort someone else. But, but God says, I want to begin the process by comforting you and loving you. Now, how does God do this? Well, Isaiah 51 verse 3 says something interesting. It says, indeed, the Lord will comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places and her joy he will make like Eden and her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her. Thanksgiving and sound of melody. Now, now, I love this, but listen again what it says. It says, indeed the Lord will comfort Zion. He will make all, all her waste places. Those wasted areas of your life. The desert experiences, the dry moments where you just don't know if you can go on and all your energy zap from you. The air, times that it's literally turned into trash and rubbish. It's a waste. And you look around and you say, I can't understand how anything good would come from this, Lord. I can't see it. 
And we, we stand and look at a lot of these wasted times and wasted places, and God says, but it's not going to remain a waste. I'm going to turn it into a Garden of Eden. I'm going to make it beautiful and glorious and incredible. And when you step back, you're going to see what I've turned this into, the redemption I made for you. So for maybe it's sickness. Well, we've seen God work in that all the time. There's a pastor named David Rame. He's an incredible guy. We're going to try to have him here. Uh, and when I announce he's coming, please be here. Don't miss him. But, but he has cerebral palsy. And uh, he got up to speak, and, and it's like so incredible. And he said, he says this, he said, when I was born, they said I would never ride a bike. But I did. They said I, I, I'd ne never get married. But I did. They said I'd never have kids. I got five. They said I'd never preach. I preached 256 times this last year. He goes, I'm David Raines. I have cerebral palsy. What's your excuse? <laughs> and you look at that and you go, yeah. And, and this man with this amazing intellectual mind, an amazing anointing of God. And you step back and go, this guy's incredible. I want to have you think about this. You probably, a lot of you had to have been a part of it. One of the largest attendances we've ever had at Crossroads Christian Church was a year ago when we had Nick come. Do you remember Nick, the man with no arms and no legs? Now, everybody has to admit he's a phenomenal preacher, even if he had arms and legs, right? But let me, did we have the crowd? Why? Because God was doing something in a man that everybody else said isn't this tragic. And you know what? I'm sure there was a moment, there had to be, where his mother stood going, God, what's going on? Not knowing that because of what happened, he would be used to reach thousands and thousands and thousands of people for Jesus and to give encouragement and hope and, and to call them to live a life that's heroic and beyond. And, and God took that and interweaved what he did around it in such a way that you go, whoa. And what some people go, oh, what a waste. God says, no, what beauty can come from it. And God does that. God loves to do that. He loves to comfort. That's God's great desire. And he says, I want to bring that comfort to you. I want to bring and change it. So now what turned into the tragic moment of tears and heartache turns into something that makes a sound of a melody with joy and gladness, he says. How do we know this happens? In Isaiah 50, verse 4, he uses the words about Jesus. It says this about the Messiah when he comes. It says, the Lord God has given me the tongue of disciples that I may know how to sustain the weary one with a word. If you could hear his voice, and there might be times you have. But let me tell you what he's going to say. He's going to say, I love you. He's going to say, you can make it. He's going to speak comfort into your life. He's going to sustain you. He's going to give you energy. He's going to give you strength. He's not going to tear you down. He's not going to tear into you. Does God sometimes reprove and chastise? Yes, but never in a way that destroys, only in a way that causes you to grow. And it says, if you could hear the words of Jesus, he would sustain you in your times of weariness with the word. He would lift you up. It goes on to say in Matthew 12, verse 20, when it's talking about a prophecy of the Messiah, it says, a battered reed he will not break off, and a smoldering wick he will not put out until he leads justice to victory. Do you, do you think about this. What it's talking about is like those reeds that are kind of out in the water, and they're real flimsy, and if you hit them, they start to kind of wobble. And the Lord says, I would never hit it in such a way when it's weak that it would break. When you've been bruised, when you've been hurt, he's not going to rush in and manhandle you. 
He's going to put his gentle arms around you and comfort you and care for you. It says a flickering wick I would never extinguish. You know what that's like? It's that candle and you blow it out and you see just the very flicker and it's giving off the smoke and it's, it's life is about to go. It's about to go out just on its own. And the Lord says, I would never extinguish that. Have you ever been in a time in your life where you're just, I can't make it, God. I'm hurting. I can't. He goes, I'll never ever take you and hurt you in those moments, even if you've blown it, even if it's you who sinned. I was just uh, visiting my granddaughters, like I told you, and so uh, I got to tell you, it's amazing what's going on. They're, again, identical twins, and they've hit a stage, the terrible twos, where they've decided if one of them says they want to do something, the other one doesn't want to do it. So I said, who wants to go jump on the bed? And so like Caroline goes, I want to. Mario goes, no, I don't want to jump on the bed. Uh, who wants to go down and see the pirate? They had this mechanical pirate. Myra's, I want to see the pirate. Caroline's, no, I'm afraid of the pirate. No, no. And she cries and doesn't want to go. And so if one of them says, like, I want to go trick-or-treating, the other one goes, I want to stay inside. And it's just this battle. And, and, and so what happened is, is I'm building them a fort with cushions, and I've got the cushions out, and I'm doing all this stuff. And I turn around, and I go, it's done. And Myra runs over, and she sits down, and, and she looks up at me, and she smiles. And Caroline she looks right at me, and then she walks over to her sister, grabs her foot, and twists it as hard as she can. And she looks at me again. And then she takes her nails and starts digging into her leg. No provocation. Uh, nothing done that would cause this. This is just pure evil coming out. And I looked at it, and I thought, where does evil like that come from? And I thought, it obviously comes from Pam's side of the family. <laughs> And I'm not kidding. I mean, I know why God was merciful so that two-year-olds aren't six foot uh, and 250 pounds. We'd all be dead. And uh, so what happens, I'm looking at her, and I've never done this before with these girls. And I look right at her, and I knew I've got to bring discipline. So I said, no. And I clapped my hands real hard. And she jumped back, and, and she starts to cry. And then what do you think she did? She ran to me and threw her arms out, and I picked her up. And I'm hugging her and saying, Caroline, you just don't want it. And she's holding on tight and crying and hugging me and saying, Papa, Papa, Papa. And I'm just comforting and loving. And don't you think that's a picture of what God does when you mess up? It is. He doesn't grab you and say, oh, I created hell for you. You know, he doesn't. <laughs> he doesn't do that, does he? He says, would you let me comfort you? Would you let me love you? Would you let me pour into your life in ways that are so amazing and so incredible that you can't miss it? That's God's great desire. Uh, uh, you know what I want to have you grab hold of is where sin abounds, grace abounds more. That's what it says in Romans 5, 20 and 21. The law came in so that transgression would increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And that's why a lot of people who are not a part of the Christian family don't get it. It's why we celebrate redemption. We celebrate recovery. We celebrate uh, someone being transparent with the failings in their life. And, and, and we rejoice not that they've done it. We rejoice how God takes and changes it. Uh, for instance, uh, one of the biggest nights we, or biggest uh, men's gatherings we've ever had was the men's breakfast where we had a man come in and give a testimony how he had used to be in a gang life uh, creating havoc and murder and horrible things and now how God had taken him and changed him. And men flocked to hear this guy's story. We're not celebrating the, the sin. We're celebrating the grace, the redemption, the change. 
there's another guy who goes around speaking, and he actually was a mafia hitman. Now, you know what? When we finally have him here, I got a feeling the place will pack out again. Not because he was a hitman necessarily, but because in the midst of all that darkness, God poured in grace and abundance. And you go, oh, this is incredible. That's why Jesus said this. He said, he who is forgiven much loves much. There's more beauty in it. And that's why I told you time and again, and it really is true, that the last thing I would ever do is judge any one of you. And, and as a follower of God, I, none of us should do that. But let me tell you why I won't, because I have done horrible things. And I look at what God has done to forgive me, and I can't believe it. And, uh, you know, I, I would even dare say there's nobody here who could match the depravity that I've exhibited. And uh, if you could, then all I'm going to say to you is God still loves you more than you can know. And his grace is there for you. Now, we don't go out and sin so we get grace, but God gives grace because we've sinned. And he wraps his grace, he wraps his comfort, he wraps his love. And we step back and go, oh, that is incredible. And that's the kind of words that you would hear if you let God speak to you. It's words of comfort, words of strength. One of my favorite, favorite stories in all the Bible is found in Mark. And what happens in Mark chapter 5 is it's the story of a woman who has an issue of blood. Her period didn't stop. And it's gone on for 12 years. Now, now, just hearing that doesn't tell you what's happening in her life, how hard it is, how, how devastating this was. First of all, she spent every penny she had trying to get cured and nothing helped. It just made her worse. But beyond that, are you ready for this? The law taught trying to make a protection, a, a quarantine-type system to keep disease from spreading. The law said that if you had an issue of blood that wouldn't stop, that you had to live apart from everybody. And no one could touch you, and you were never, ever to touch anyone. Because they wouldn't want to exchange the disease. So for 12 years, she lives a life of isolation and loneliness. She has no family who's allowed to touch her or be with her. No hugs, no kiss, no touch, no close contact. And she's totally alone. She's anemic. Her body is weak. And she's coming to a place where she's not going to make it. And she hears that Jesus is coming. And she goes into a town, even though it wasn't allowed, and the penalty for being there was she could be stoned to death. The idea, if the word got out what she had done, that she had entered that town, let anybody touch her, been in her presence, they would take her. The violation is death. And now she's going to come into town and she sees Jesus coming and she thinks, if I could just touch him. Now, you don't understand probably that. Number one, a woman was never to touch a man in public. But this woman, if she were to touch Jesus, she makes him unclean. She means he has to go sit for a week and make sure the disease hasn't spread. And he's on his way to heal a 12-year-old girl. And if he gets touched by her, that 12-year-old girl is going to die without him. But she can't stand it. And she fights through a crowd that's pressing in on him. They're pressing on her. And it says she reaches out and touches the hem of his garment. Well, the hem of his garment was on the bottom. So obviously she wouldn't have laid down in the crowd. What happened is, is the crowd shifted and moved. And she, in her weakened state, she reached out with everything she had and just barely got to touch him. But she had to touch him. She had to be with him. Something drove her to do something that wasn't culturally correct. It didn't make sense. Even God had said, don't do this. But she was so impassioned she reaches out and when she touches it says power went out from him and he turned and said who touched me and the whole crowd backs up and Peter says Lord everyone's been pressing in on you how could you say this and he said no power went from me and it says that when she was revealed she couldn't be hidden 
This is the line that gets me. She told all the truth. Now, now, what she was doing was, even though she had been healed, she was putting herself in a position to be killed. Touching a rabbi. Being diseased. Everybody else standing there now going, oh, did I touch her? Now I'm unclean. And, and she tells the whole truth. She doesn't hold anything back. And Jesus looks at her, and the next word is the one that I love. He says, daughter. There are different words in the Greek for daughter, but the one he uses is the cherished daughter, the cherished child. He doesn't look at her and say, how could you? He doesn't look at her and say, what you did was wrong and inappropriate. He looks at her and says, I love you. And I love you like a father loves his most cherished child. You're my daughter. And all the isolation's gone. All the loneliness is gone. And he grabs her. He, this is one of the most amazing moments. She just desperately wanted him. And, and Jesus desperately wanted her. And that's how he feels about you. And that's how he feels about me. No matter what we're going through. We need him. Um, Avery, or I'm sorry, Angie, was a mom with three children, an amazingly good marriage with a husband who loved her. They were very committed Christians and are very committed Christians. And she got pregnant. And at first they were elated, a fourth child. They couldn't believe how good God was, and they began to celebrate that. And then what happened is she found out as the weeks went on that there was a problem with the baby. And the doctors said to her, He's, he, this child's not going to make it. She'd find out later on it was a girl, Avery, but there was a heart condition and said the most likely scenario is the child will die inside your womb. If it is born, it won't last more than a day. It was devastating. All of us who've lost children, we know that. It was devastating. And uh, she began to write a blog called Bring the Rain. It's an amazing blog. Talia, my assistant, um, said that it just moved her like she's never been moved before. And I went and looked at it, the pictures, the words, the things she wrote. As she journaled day by day how God was comforting her in the midst of this. Sometimes there were amazing days of joy, but sometimes there were times she just cried and cried and cried. And you can almost sense tears falling on the keyboard as she's typing. And, and, and you read this and you're just going, whoa. And uh, she tells in there about what it was like to go to a funeral home and have to pick out the coffin that her daughter would be in. And as she stood there looking at it, the baby starts to move and gets the hiccups. And she said, God, I can't believe this. This life's moving inside me. And, and she started asking all the whys. But here's what's interesting. God reached down and started to comfort them, the whole family. God brought people around. He started to interweave his love and grace in this. So that, that as she started writing, people were drawn to the amazing story of this little girl, Avery. And she's hit a place right now where 150,000 people a day go to her blog to read it. And she has brought testimony to Christ. She has brought people to the Lord. She's comforted other families who lost children. She started comforting other families who lost children before she lost her child. And, and God, in the midst of this amazing, heartful moment, brought his reign. He brought his joy. He brought his blessing. He brought... He brought hope. He brought comfort. And uh, when Talia showed me the letter that Angie wrote to her daughter, I was just blown. It got me. And I think it's going to get you. 
But I want you to listen to what she says. The baby was born and only lasted two hours. But the life, the life matters still. Sweet Audrey, there are no words I could say in this letter that we would be able to express what you are to us, but I feel compelled to write them anyway. Do you know you changed the world? From the day we found out we were expecting you, we knew that God had chosen you for our family. When we started feeling you move around, we invented stories about who you would be. We took bets on whether you were a boy or girl. Daddy was wrong. Abby and Ellie set aside toys that they wanted to give to you. Your daddy let me buy books at the bookstore about being pregnant, even though we already have a million. He knows I love the smell of books, and he just watched with a smile while I gathered them all together. We talked about you all the time. Our house was filled with love for you long before we ever knew who you would be to us. We let Kate help us set up a crib in her room while we told her that she was going to have a baby brother or sister sleeping next to her someday. We introduced her little toddler bed and taught her all about being a big sister. She loved her freedom. We found her in the pantry one night eating chocolate at 3 a.m. And so for weeks, we planned, we talked about names, about paint, about schools, about everything, but the one thing we didn't know. God had something much bigger planned for your life than we ever could have imagined. On January 7th, we heard the beginning of your story. You kicked while I listened to them tell me that I should let you go. You, unable to say a word, spoke volumes as we considered what had been laid before us. Audrey, there really never was a choice. You were ours from the moment God ordained it so. There were moments in the darkness during that time when I worried that maybe we should give you to God. We didn't want you to suffer, and we knew that as soon as you were with him, you would be at peace. Were we selfish for trying to keep you here? We knew before we let ourselves travel into those thoughts that they were lies. That decision was not for us to make. We settled into the reality of our new life, and the stacks of books on pregnancy gave way to scripture. Did you know that while you were in my tummy, you went to the beach, to Disney World, to the ballet, to the zoo, to the symphony, to pick out our puppy, to the children's theater, to listen to daddy sing, to church, to Poppy's house, and so many more places. I talked to you about how the laundry machine worked, told you about all our neighbors, and taught you how to choose a bright pineapple at the grocery store. I never stopped talking to you. You were my daughter, and I loved you like I love your sisters. We prayed for you all the time. Our prayers changed with the days. We never ever doubted that God could heal you. I know you know that. I know you felt that. But I still feel compelled to tell you that we believed, Audrey. And the fact that you are with him as I type these words does not change that belief. There is not a single moment that passes when I question his will for your life. I will never ever forget the day you were born. Nobody who was a part of it will either. April 7th was one of the best days of my life. You made me brave, Audrey girl. Your mommy used to be afraid of the hospital, afraid of the noises and the smell of medicine. My whole life I have been afraid. I wasn't afraid that day. I was peaceful. I was calm. I was in the presence of the Lord himself more than any other time in my life. I was in the presence of the Lord and I listened to them tell me what would be happening and I nodded. I surrendered. I stopped worrying about me and I just fell into the arms of the Lord. He carried us all that day, didn't he? At 4.31, I heard a nurse say, she's out. 
Daddy said, she's out, and he peeked around the corner to see them carrying you to a table nearby. I thought I heard you squeaking, and I asked if you were alive. Daddy looked at me, and he nodded. She's alive. I couldn't believe it. The doctors looked you over and listened to your heart. They cleaned you off a little bit, and then Daddy laid you right beside my head. You had one little eye opened, and you were trying to take it all in. I was too. I put my hands on your head and just started crying because you were so beautiful. I fell completely head over heels in love with you the instant I met you. That's who you were, Audrey. We rejoiced in telling everyone that you were alive. Your heart was moving slowly, and we knew that it was a matter of time before we would have to release you. But no one would have known that. For the rest of the day, people held you, touched you, talked to you, and prayed for you. And everybody smiled when they saw you. There weren't many tears because in a way, we weren't sad. We were just too busy praising God for you to be sad. One of my favorite moments was when they put you on the scale. You were much bigger than they thought you were ever going to be, and it felt like victory. Three pounds, two ounces. As soon as the announcement was made, the room broke into cheers. Did you know that your daddy's birthday is 3-2? Those are beautiful numbers to us, sweet girl, because they tell us that you were here. You had weight in this life. Your sisters were a little nervous when they came in, but as they looked you over, God showed them who you were. The peace that had filled that room for the entire day rested on them, and they began to laugh and to talk as they would to any other new baby. They each held you carefully and kissed your sweet, clean skin. While they were all gathered around me on the bed, your nurse Candace came to listen to your heart. I asked her to be sensitive because of the girls. And after listening for a few minutes, she told me quietly that you were gone. The girls never knew that they had been there for that moment, and I thank God that he took you that way. There was never anything but peace. We sang over you as God welcomed you into heaven. I cry for you often. I miss the smell of your skin and your perfect little nose. My arms ache from emptiness. I tell your daddy all the time that I just want to hold you again. I cannot see to write these words because my eyes overflow with the tears of a mother who has been asked to give her daughter away. I knew I would, have, I, knew I would love you when I met you. I knew you would become a part of me. What I didn't know was that instead of feeling like it was a brief encounter, I feel like the world stood still. He somehow gave us an entire lifetime of memories in such a short time. I didn't feel like I lost a baby. I felt like I said goodbye to someone I had always known who had been my daughter for years and years. Even now, as I write, it seems impossible that you were only with us for two and a half hours. Thank you, Lord, for giving us all the time we could have asked for with her. The clock was insignificant. We knew her deeply, a lifetime's worth. Audrey, you have no idea how you have impacted those around you. Did you see all of the nurses who cried when they came to see me? Did you hear the nurse manager tell me that since you had been born, the name of the Lord had been spoken repeatedly at their station in a way it never had? That you, my love, had brought them together? Did you know that the people who came to your birth, who knew nothing of your story, talked about the amazing peace that filled the room inexplicably? Do you know that there were radio stations all over the country announcing that your mommy was going into surgery while people drove home to their families? Do you know that they asked for prayer as you entered the world, that strangers dropped to their knees on your behalf? Do you know how many people have met Jesus because of you? 
There is more than I can fit here, Audrey, more than I can fit anywhere. You are the greatest miracle that I have ever been a part of, and I want you to know how incredibly proud I am to have been chosen to be your mommy. I promise you that I will never stop being your voice here on earth. I will tell everyone about the little girl who came in a three-pound body to change hearts. I will always miss you, Audrey. There will never be a day when you are not a part of us. I want you to know that you changed me, honey. You made mommy so brave because of how much I loved you. I am so proud to have a scar to remember where you once were. Thank you, my sweet, sweet girl. As I have been writing, the rain is pounding on my window. It is what many would call a very dark and ugly day with no sign of sunshine. Because of you, Audrey, it is not that way to me anymore. It is an answer to prayer. Jesus, you have brought us the rain and we praise you for it. We lift up the God that has made us strong enough to love our little girl the way she deserved to be loved. And we trust that you will continue to use her as a vessel of your goodness and of your faithfulness. Lord, you have shown me that when this life is empty, you will fill. You have walked with us in a way we never could have imagined. What seemed like a cross to bear has now taken the shape of a great blessing, which we are honored to have been a part of. Thank you, Lord. You are the light of our lives now and forever. Audrey, there is much more to say. I rest in knowing that you already know it before it has left our lips. We love you, sweetest baby girl. Do you know you changed the world? Mommy. greatest miracle, she said. And that's what God does, isn't it? The line, she said, I'm proud to have the scar. You know she is. Do you know how God feels about you? It's the same. When we get to heaven, all of us are going to have perfect bodies, except Jesus. He's still going to keep the scars. And uh, I really do picture a time where I'm going to get next to him and hug him. I'm going to look at it and think, wow. Lord, it was worse than I could imagine. And I think he's going to look and say, this scar check reminds me of you. He's going to look at you and say, it reminds him of you. It's the reminder of how much he loves us, that every single one of us who said yes to him. And then he says, I want to forgive you, cleanse you, comfort you, I want to sustain you, energize your life. I want your life to count for more than you know. You're worth it. God moved heaven and earth to have a relationship with us. And then he looks down, and in that relationship, he's with us in our times of joy and our pains, our hurts. And uh, today, I hope that all of us here who, who know him and, and, and live with him that we would just continue to praise him in the good and the bad, knowing that he is in control. And what he does, the beauty he brings out of it in the end is incredible. Today, if you're not close to the Lord, 
I want you to know it's not his fault. He loves you. There isn't anybody here that he doesn't want to have an intimate, close, very real relationship with. Not just you believing there's a God out there, but you literally experiencing this God who loves you from the inside out with everything he can and a very real relationship. And he would love to have that with you. How do you enter that relationship? Well, it begins by you literally saying, I'm going to pray. And what I'm going to do in a minute is I'm going to go to a time of prayer and I'm going to give you an opportunity that if you would like to, right where you're sitting, I'll lead a prayer. I'll say a line and stop and let you think of the words. And you can whisper that prayer and literally commit your life to the Lord and open up your heart to him. And he's going to come and take you. I also want to say there's some of you today who probably at one time were very close to the Lord. You, you knew what it was like to have a relationship with him. And uh, I don't know why that might not be the case at this moment. I can just tell you this. He wants you back. If you could see him, he would open up his arms and say, come back. And the way you come back is by saying that prayer again, not to become a Christian again. It's a recommitment. And when you do, God says, that's it. I wanted this. So when we go to this time of prayer, I'm, I'm hoping, I'm praying, I'm, I've been pleading with the Lord all as the week as this day approached that there would be those of you who would open up your hearts to him or, or recommit to him and you would make this a moment that literally changes. And you would come to know the God of all comfort. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your comfort. I've experienced it time and time again. And while there is pain, the comfort, the grace, the mercy. It overwhelms it. And we step back and see the beauty of what you do. And Lord, I, I pray today that for those who've had these times that have just loss or pain, that today they would find your comfort there. I ask God that your spirit would move right now. And anybody here who's hurting, that, that God, that they would let you love them and they would sense it. And may it be beautiful. Father, I pray for those who need to be forgiven. That God, that they would be able to let you literally cleanse them and just lift guilt away and, and bring the redemption and even the repair. The newness. But I ask most of all, Lord, right now that your Holy Spirit would literally come and move. And that every man and every woman, every guy and every girl who needs you, or they need to recommit to you, God, that you would touch them now and stir, that somehow they would sense your presence like I did that day. And Lord, in this time, they would actually whisper the words and they would say yes to you and they would begin this life in an amazing way with you. So we ask God for you to stir and touch. We ask for you to draw people. I'm gonna ask that we keep praying and if you're right with the Lord, would you pray for those who need to make this decision? But today, if you wanna commit your life to Christ to recommit, I'm gonna ask you just to whisper those words with me. But I'd like to know if God is at touching any of you, if any of you are going to pray this prayer. So if you would pray this prayer with me, would you let me know you're going to do it by lifting your hand in the air and looking at me and then you can put it down. Praise God. That is so awesome. That is incredible. Praise the Lord for you. And praise God for you. Wow. And for you and you and you right here. Praise the Lord for each one of you. Praise God. Right over here. Praise the Lord. Wow. And right back here. Praise God in the center section. That's awesome. And right here in the very center. Wow, and then way up there, praise the Lord. Wow. And over here, 
You know what? All around the room, there are people being touched, and, and God loves you and cares about you. So right now, if, if you are one of those that God's stirring with, let's just whisper these words together. Just say these words. Say, Lord Jesus, I know you love me, and I know you died on the cross to forgive me of my sins, to heal me of my hurts, to make me alive, and to make me new. So I open up my heart to you. Please fill me with your love, with your presence, and make me yours. And I want to be who you created me to be. And I want to live the life you have for me to live. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.